0: Thanks for joining us, listeners, for another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. So glad that you uh, were willing to take some time out today to to listen to some food talk, which is always just a a way to make the day a little bit brighter. And we have a first for you on Restaurant Hoppin' today, and that is a mother-son connection. We've had David Lasolé on the podcast a couple months ago from Virtuoso Pizzeria. He was fantastic. He broke down pizza for us. But now we get the whole Italian spectrum with his mother. This is Marie LaSole uh, from LaSolo Mio. Welcome to the podcast, Marie.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: This is the pleasure is all mine. Truly. This is oh, like God. this is so exciting <laughs> because I feel like if you made like a Mount Rushmore of iconic Omaha restaurants, LaSolo <laughs> Mio has to be on there, I feel like, in terms oh. of history. Flavors, just everything, the all encompassing um, experience.
1: You're too, too gracious. Very nice to, of you to say those nice things. But, you know, there are many, many great restaurants in Omaha and many memorable ones, and, you know, they come and they go. But uh, um, we have been blessed, I should say, mm-hmm. to be a part of uh, Omaha for as long as we have.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, and yes, I want to make sure that reiterate there are a lot of great restaurants in omaha I, I agree with you completely there are a lot of great historic ones well Solo Mia has been around for almost 30 years and it has always been a very you know traditional white tablecloth italian restaurant fantastic finally like something changed over these last couple months like <laughs> it's something that no restaurant tour has ever really had to experience or go through before and you guys have made a really interesting pivot in that, you know, obviously diners are starting to be allowed to come back in now. But that's still, you know, something that restaurants are a decision restaurants are making on an individual basis. But you guys are offering family style meals like lasagna, chicken piccata, stuff like that. Uh, All cart items like um, red sauce or that delicious roasted garlic that goes on um, the bread before meals, pizzas. But I have to ask you about one menu item specifically, and that is the double crust pizza, which I've seen these on menus before, and I'm like, okay, it just looks like basically like a fancied up calzone. <laughs> but the pictures on Los Mio's Facebook page, I'm like, okay, this is on another level. You break down the double crust pizza for me.
1: Well, uh, the double crust pizza is a traditional Italian uh, pizza. I believe it really originated more in Sicily. And uh, Sicilians like to say they're Sicilian and not Italian, but they are Italian. Mm -hmm. And uh, other, you know, I was uh, born in Calabria, which is right across from Sicily, so on the mainland. And so the uh, influence is very similar. And so uh, the pizza, what we do is uh, take a a crust of pizza dough and uh, put some olive oil on it. Uh, and then we saute some delicious sliced potatoes with onions and mm. season them and slowly cook them. Sometimes they get a little bit uh, caramelized, which I love, the, the brown ones. I try not to pick them out for myself. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I, and then, uh, you know, hamburger. And uh, traditionally it does not have sauce. Uh, Some people ask for a little container of sauce on the side, maybe to dip their pizza in if they like it with sauce. Mm -hmm. But traditionally it is a naked crust pizza and uh, the hamburger and then the cheese. Um, Some people that are vegetarian don't want the hamburger and, um, of course uh growing up when we didn't have meat we just used vegetables broccoli or spinach were the two uh favorites that went in there and then of course the the cheese and you fold the crust over and uh Uh, then you just, you bake it, you know, put a little few slits in there to let the air breathe, Uh, rub some more olive oil and cheese on top, and it's just a little bit of heaven, so. Oh,
0: yes, it definitely sounds like it, and it looks like it, too. People, go Mm -hmm. on La Mm Mia's Facebook page and check it out. You'll probably be ordering one very soon. Um, One of the reasons, among many, that I wanted to talk to you is I feel like you bring a very interesting perspective to how restaurants are handling This COVID 19 world that we find ourselves in. Well, Solo Mio, originally you guys closed the restaurant to kind of try and regroup. You opened it for takeout and then closed it for takeout again. And now takeout is reopened. And I know that this is a difficult process. I think a lot of people, when they think about restaurants moving to takeout, they're just like, oh, well, it's easy. You just take the food that you would normally make, you put it in a to go box, and you send it out the door. It's not that easy. Can you can you break down for us just exactly what the process of moving a restaurant from, you know, fine dining essentially to takeout and just how difficult that is?
1: Sure. Uh, well, we have always offered carryout. Uh, it has not been uh, the largest amount of our business, but mm-hmm. it's, it has always been offered. We've just never done it on such a scale as we are doing it now. Um, and, you know, we were caught as all Americans were and, and around the world uh, with this pandemic and have to uh, revise things that we do. Um when we were first told that, you know, we needed to close, um, we did because it's no use to stay open with 10 people. And then everyone was a stay at home. Right. Um, they did encourage then four people to take out from restaurants. And so after a week, we decided, well, you know, we have done carryout before. Let's do it again. But um, we had to just use our People that were there all of the time and our managers, people who didn't actually work in the carryout area. Mm -hmm. We did bring back our cooks and uh, and my husband and I, but uh, we tried to go on a very uh, limited uh, employee base, just because of the fact that with no money coming in, uh, this was before the PPP. We had no money really to pay the employees, Mm -hmm. and we said to them, "Look, we um, some of our cooks get a very." good wage, you know, and we said, look, we we can't afford right now to pay you your full salary, but bear with us and we will pay you the most that we can and any of the tips, you will be able to split and get the tips to make up the difference. And so we did that for a week, but within that week we were finding out that the stress of it all, employees it started to call in right away, that they were sick. um, Mm -hmm. and the hard work that people who normally didn't do that job had to do to find a system, to way, way to make it work, it was just too much. And then you were hearing all of these things on the news about stay at home um, and everyone needed to be safe. And then I thought to myself, well if they need to be safe, why don't we need to be safe? Mm-hmm. And our employees, what, why are we exposing them and they exposing us and what are we going to do? So it was just overwhelming. And so my conscience made me think, you know, we just need to stop and stay at home as well for everyone's safety and health until we see what else is going on. And other restaurants proceeded to do carryout, and we just sat back and watched and, um, you know, until things got a little bit better. And mm-hmm. then we decided, uh, we need to go back and, uh, and do this. We can't stay home forever. We will lose everything we have, you know? And mm-hmm. so we regrouped, um, we learned from the last time of what we did wrong and, uh, you know, we're, we're working on it now and, uh, doing a better job, um, Somehow, it almost seems that, uh, gee, maybe this is the way to go, carry (laughs) out only. But uh, then I look at my restaurant and I think, oh, no, I I couldn't imagine people not coming in here and me talking with them and going around and visiting and having the experience shared with the music and all of the customs that Mm -hmm. we have here, uh, the things that we offer on the table for them to use that have made us so popular. So um, hopefully that will come back.
0: Well, I'm very, very happy to hear that it's gone so successful now, and I just, I wanted to ask you that question just because I want people to understand that this is, it's a difficult process for restaurants, and it's a process that, you know, changes almost daily based off of new government recommendations, you know, how many reported cases there are and everything, Mm -hmm. I mean. You guys are basically shooting at a moving target exactly. with one eye blindfolded sometimes. Exactly.
1: Now, before all of this, uh, before May 4th, when the governor came out and gave the regulations for restaurants, um, all carryout people, no one was uh, regulated to wear a mask in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and our servers, our, our uh, cooks always wore gloves, you know, and we always had an excellent rating with the health department. We were very clean restaurants, still are. Um, Anyone, we would welcome any customer back into our restaurant to go through our kitchen at any time. So we always uh, maintained a high standard of cleanliness. Um, But... When this happened, then on May 4th, the governor came out and said, well, now the cooks have to wear masks. Now they didn't have to wear masks in the kitchen before the regulations. Uh, but now all of a sudden they had to wear masks. And if you work in a kitchen, you know how hot it is and how hard it is to have your face and nose covered Mm -hmm. and working over hot heat. So bless them because they are doing it. And, uh, uh, you know, anyone who goes into the kitchen, you know, has to do that. Um, we send our, people out to the cars to bring their food to their curbside uh, wearing masks and gloves. We sanitize uh, the gloves. We take them off. We put clean ones on. So the expense of gloves and, and masks, you know, are added in there then.
0: So, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to hear, you know, everything seems to be going really well. Obviously you guys are taking the proper safety uh, precautions. That's awesome. Now for all the, bad stuff that this pandemic has caused and it it has caused a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and it's terrible but every once in a while there are like these little glimmers of light that come out that are just like a reminder that there's there's a lot of good still happening and one of those for me happened i think it was a couple of weeks ago but it was on facebook you posted a video of the employees A bunch of employees drove by you guys' house in their cars and they were all honking and they had signs hanging out their windows that said, you know, thank you and everything. What did that mean to you?
1: I'm sorry. You're fine. (laughs) That just makes me tear up. I'm a very emotional person. And um, it just meant the world to us that our employees thought that much of us, um, that they wanted to know that they loved us and, and, uh, missed us. Um, uh, you know, without, without them, we wouldn't exist. Um, they are part of our dream and they are, uh, a wonderful crew that, uh, you know, is everyone. You have problems with the employees mm-hmm. here and there, but, you know, if you treat your employees well, um, hopefully they will, you know, respond and treat you well as back. So for them to come by knowing that they were thinking of us and surprising us like that, uh, it just meant everything to us that we appreciated it so much. And we thought, oh, we have to just keep going, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes so you want to fight. It does. It makes you want to fight.
0: Okay. I've got one last question about pandemic mm-hmm. and then we can put all that behind us for the rest of the interview. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or maybe not. We can talk about it as much no. as you want. I, but. I just, I'm so interested because you, I'm someone who pays very close attention to the food community and, you know, I am really trying to take in what all these different people are saying about what the future of restaurants looks like. You are someone who's been in the restaurant industry about just as long as anyone in Omos. I think you can provide a unique perspective and you kind of mentioned it earlier when you were like, hey, this takeout thing can be pretty good. What do you see as the future of the restaurant industry, I guess, when it comes to when things get back to whatever the new normal is? What does normal look like in your eyes?
1: Uh, To me, the new normal is not normal. Uh Um, We are not meant to to operate this way. And um, I'm praying to God that we will get back to normal at some point in time. Um, What... I see is, uh, actually, I've been in the restaurant business since I've been 14 years old, and Mm -hmm. so has my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, he started out as a busboy. I started working at uh, UNMC Hospital, uh, filling uh, patient trays as they came down the conveyor belt and stacking them in uh, the uh, carriers and bringing them up and delivering to patients. Um, I worked all through high school in the cafeteria. Um, My husband you know, has worked in restaurants all of his life. And so have I, we had another venture years ago. So, um, we've seen a lot of things. Um, if you work your business, it'll work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've seen people who don't take care of their businesses and they don't last as long, or they don't pay attention to detail. So we try to pay attention to detail. The details now that we have to pay attention to are so much different than they were before. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are, we still pay attention to the same things, but now there is added on, uh, with this pandemic, um, you know, we'll be be required to, um, spray chairs off after everyone leaves. And, um, can we use tablecloths? Can we not use tablecloths? Uh, is it more sanitary to spray the tables off and then we lose some of our ambiance and, uh, not use tablecloths or, um, as we were doing before, we would have an overlay on our tablecloths. So to save a little money on the uh, linen bill, um, the long tablecloth that was over the table, we wouldn't have to change that every single time. We would only change the top covering over it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and those we would launder ourselves. So now those are things we have to take in consideration. Will we have to use just paper menus? Now, as I mentioned, we've always been a very clean restaurant, and we have— some OCD people that work for us, uh, my daughter-in-law, um, who will constantly wipe everything down, and every day she would wipe off the menus, you know, with the disinfectant. So we have been doing that for years. But now, are we going to have to um, not use those menus and only use paper menus? And then, what are we doing to the to the Green New Deal? You know, <laughs> uh, it's wasting all of that paper all of the time. So. Um, The olive oil on the table that we put for everyone to freely use, Um, we grade our own uh, wheels of Parmesan cheese, Mm -hmm. we have the container of that on the table for people to freely use, but we've never thought of everyone handling it after each use, and I don't think anyone else has ever been conscious of it. We wipe them off at the end of the night, of course, we clean them, but after each person now, are we going to be required to wipe those off? Are we going to be not able to have those on the table as well as salt and pepper shakers? We're just kind of, you know, wondering what the dynamic is going to be of how we're going to be able to still do the type of service that we want to provide. We've always when people have leftovers, we box them up for them. Mm-hmm. We do it right there at their table side. I don't like when food is taken out of our site, when we go to a restaurant and brought back to us that they box it up somewhere in the back. So we always try to uh, work our business the way we like to be treated. And we want to see our food there boxed up for us as a service, uh, right by our table side. So that's what we do. Uh, now is the customer going to want to, we hand them the container and they box up their own food. You know, there are just so many things and unknowns and variables that, uh, and it does change constantly. We, right now we could do 50% occupancy, which we have chose not to open yet, mm-hmm. but, um, hopefully we will. And who knows what the regulations will change and be at that time. So, um, We've never taken reservations. So to be at 50% occupancy, uh, first of all, will customers want to go back into a restaurant? Some I've heard that they say, I'll never go out until there's a, a vaccine for this. You know, so... We don't know how many customers will be out there. So now we would actually have to take reservations. And in all the years we've been in business, we've never taken them. We felt it was a fair playing field for everyone and not just for someone to get a reservation. And then, you know, there's all the variables. Do they show up on time? How much time do you allow them at a table? A server can sit there with a table empty for half an hour, 45 minutes because someone is late or they're Mm -hmm. sitting there longer and the other customer is getting angry because they thought they had a reservation and they have to wait. Just all of those things we chose not to deal with that. But uh, now that uh, you can only do 50% capacity, we would almost have to because we would have to know how many people we are going to let into the restaurant because now they're not going to be allowed to wait in the lounge and have a cocktail while they wait. So there are just so many unknowns and it's very scary for everyone in in every situation. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're up against.
0: And again, like we talked about, it's something that changes all the time. Correct. this, by the time this episode releases, things could have changed. It's just, it's, it's something that requires constant pivoting. And I give you guys as restaurateurs, just a ton of credit for continuing to, you know, make modifications and just alter your business. I mean, That right. takes a lot of skill to be able to do that.
1: It does. And, and what is first and foremost is not just the business or making money. But it's taking care of the people around Mm -hmm. you who work for you, um, your customers. You know, you want to give them the best experience, make it safe for them, you know, and safe for us. So um, those are the things that we always have to consider. It's not just about the bottom line.
0: Oh, exactly. Yes, I think that's a very important point to make. Now. I'm I'm ready to move on from okay. all this if you are. If is, right. is there more that you want to talk about with the future or or how you guys are handling coronavirus cuz we can we can do that if you if you want.
1: Uh, no, I I think we're good. We could talk about, you know, the the pros, I guess, or whatever you want to talk about. I'm here to answer your questions.
0: I want to go back to the beginning.
1: Oh. And you you
0: mentioned <laughs> that both you and your husband kind of grew up you know, doing restaurant jobs in the restaurant industry. You guys met pretty young as high school sweethearts.
1: Oh, you read the menu.
0: <laughs> I, I, I've read quite a few things. Um, was it always kind of like this unspoken plan or maybe even spoken to get into the restaurant industry? Like, was that always kind of a, a couple goal between you guys or did it just happen?
1: Well, we have... First of all, uh, love, always love food. Most people do, but, you know, we have, uh, being Italian, we have a passion for it, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's part of our Life And and very important to bring a family together. That's the extension of how we show hospitality and love is offering food. You know, hospitality is if you were to uh, knock on someone's door and they didn't answer. Well, that's not very good hospitality if they were home. If they did answer, maybe they would just open open the door and talk through the glass and say, what do you want? They wouldn't invite you in, you know? So if they have more hospitality, maybe they'd say, come in, but you would just stand in their hallway. Uh, true hospitality would be, come on in, sit down, you know, can I get you something to drink? So that this is the Italian culture. We have always been welcoming and warm and loving. And that's how we show people our hospitality that offering them some food. So we have had a love of food and, uh, uh, we just have always worked in the food industry. I guess it's just because, uh, we, as long as, as well as everyone else who eats critiques everything. So mm-hmm. when you go out, um, that, that's the, uh, one of the, pros and cons of of, uh, social media now that everyone is a critic. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a stomach and eat food, you know, you are a critic and you can be on your platform and, you know, you can destroy a restaurant if you wanted to, which, you know, they don't realize how much hard work goes into it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and everyone is not perfect. All we can do is try. But um, so we... We just would go out and we would say, oh, we know we could do this better. You know, th- this doesn't taste as good as we can make it. Uh-huh. And, you know, we we love to cook. And th- my husband was a chef, um, you know, and I worked with him all the time. Uh, I would cook. I We had six children, uh, all the time, their friends would come over and our house was a gathering place where all the kids came and, and, uh, mom, can they stay for dinner? Can they stay for dinner? So, you know, kids in the neighborhood all knew, um, they could come to our house and always get some food.
0: So take me into La Soleil's landmark. How did that come to be?
1: Uh, well, um, My husband and I were working at uh, Happy Hollow Country Club. Uh He was the executive chef there 10 years, and I worked there uh, part-time off and on raising the children and uh, as a a hostess, a switchboard operator, back when they had the actual trunks and you would take the lines and then put them in. That's Uh how long ago that was. Uh, I was a a hostess, a server, a bartender. I catered into um, the... uh, uh, members' homes uh, for their special occasions. My husband was the executive chef at the club. So um, we just knew that we wanted to do something on our own, but we never had any money. With six children, we lived paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were uh, getting a $1,000 rebate um, or on our income tax. Oh, and we were so excited to get that $1,000. <laughs> and his... Don's father, my husband, uh, just happened to tell us that at a restaurant where he had worked uh, back in the 40s, uh, was becoming for sale in the downtown Omaha area, and it was a small little bar and grill, and uh, that we should go and look at it, and so we went, and we looked at it, and we thought, oh, yes, we would love this. This would be perfect. It's small enough and close enough to us, and... Uh, but we had no money. Well, it took a thousand dollars to, as a down payment, just to get the credit check to see if you would qualify to get the loan or to get the uh, business. So we thought, well, you know, we never had this money to begin with. Let's give them the thousand dollars and see if we qualify. Not even thinking about that, there was going to be another eleven thousand down for a down payment to come if we were qualified. Right. So um, uh, lo and behold, we were. We qualified. And so we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this 11,000? So, being at a country club, um, it had members that uh, were, uh, had businesses, uh, you know, that could afford to belong to a country club. And a very prominent gentleman uh, owned a bank who we knew uh, who belonged to the country club was a member. And so we went to him and we said, you know, uh, we're in this predicament. We, We don't own a home. We have no collateral. Um, But we need $11,000 because we want to open up our own restaurant. And he said, you know, I have seen you two working here for so long, and I know your work ethics and your qualities and your – hard workers. So I'm going to give it to you just on a signature loan. So that's how we got uh, the landmark. And we named it that because, well, many reasons, and it's in my book. But uh, (laughs) uh, one of the reasons was also because Don's father worked there so many years ago. And so we did the decor inside of all landmark buildings that had been torn down in downtown Omaha beautiful buildings and then um by the bar area we did uh, uh blew up the whole front page of the world heralds of all the uh major events that had happened uh, around the world you know mm-hmm. assassinations of the president uh, the Hindenburg all, all types of things so mm-hmm. it was interesting
0: now this feels like a natural spot here since you just mentioned it. do you want to give a plug for the book Coming oh coming out?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, sure. Uh, well, uh, the book I'm writing, uh, mainly, um, I'm doing it as a uh, as a keepsake for my grandchildren, mm-hmm. uh, just so they'll have something to go on, because um, I was adopted. So um, to go back and find all of the uh, the lineages you can do and ancestry and that type of thing. So uh, they may not be able to do that. Uh, there's a story behind my husband's father coming over, grandfather actually coming over from Italy, and my coming over from Italy. And so uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to write down as many things as I can for them uh, to have it. And uh, when you have a large family, six children, and uh Things happen in your life. You have more events, and we are very eventful people. Mm -hmm. So, when we have stories after stories, and so uh, everyone has a story in their life, just some are more interesting than others. And uh, ours have been eventful more than maybe just, you know, an average person. Uh, I was given up for adoption and. put in an orphanage uh, for a while, and then was blessed enough to come to America and be adopted into the most wonderful family, where I was able to keep my Italian roots because the mother that adopted me was full-blooded Italian. So the story goes on from there. Um, but uh, the name of the book, uh, as far as I know for now, I have not met with a publisher. I have a little bit because we have some good customers at the restaurants. that are in the publishing business. Mm-hmm. So you know, titles of books, sometimes it depends if they'll sell or not by the title. Mm -hmm. I've titled mine, um, Life is a Recipe, but God Keeps Changing the Ingredients.
0: Oh, I love that. That's uh, awesome. You know,
1: meaning that, you know, we have to change whenever something in our life goes not the way we planned. And so also recipe, meaning that the book will have stories, pictures, and recipes. And so, you know, uh, it'll go from there.
0: Well, whenever the book does come out, we will be sure to <laughs> pump it up on social media, let people okay. know where they can find it and everything. And, okay. and I, I commend you as as someone who's written a book. I know how hard that is and how, how long it takes. So, it's very hard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, back to the story. Mm-hmm. So we have La Sola's landmark. This is, yes. you know, like you mentioned, a, a small location that you guys got. How do we move from there to La Solo Mio?
1: Well, um, we were there. We started that in 1979. And at that time, uh, downtown Omaha... Only had about 25 places down from the old market up to 19th and Varnham where we were, that you could eat. That so, is so crazy uh, to think about now. Yes. <laughs> Life was booming. You yes. know, the business was great. We were right by the courthouse. We were uh, had attorneys and, and stockbrokers and you know the phone company, when they had the big phone company there. Uh, and we had many businesses all around us, so we were just packed. It was wonderful. Um, as the years went on, more and more restaurants started to open up. So after uh, six and a half years, there were probably, oh... 40 or 50 restaurants. So mm-hmm. you could go once a month to a different place and never hit the same one for a month. So business was starting to go down a little bit and it was very stressful. Um so we decided, you know what, we we wanted to get out of the restaurant business and one of the key things was that our children at this time had become teenagers. Mm-hmm. And um anyone who's listening and had teenage, has teenagers knows that they need you more at home when they're teenagers than they do when they're little. You know where they're at when they're little. and they're teenagers, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. So uh, they needed me home more then. So we decided to get out of the restaurant business, and uh, uh, but in a different line. Um, my husband was offered a job. I have a brother and sister who live in California. And uh, my brother... Uh, has a very good friend that had a um, distribution for restaurants uh, for groceries. And so he uh, said, come out here and you can sell groceries to restaurants and you can still be in the same line of work, you know, and get a fresh start and and do that. So we decided to move to California for a while. And uh, after a while, we realized that uh, Omaha was our home. Mm-hmm. and uh you know being in the big city we never thought of omaha as a small town until we moved to california yeah you know and that was just overwhelming and so uh we came back and uh my husband got a job then with uh cisco uh as a food salesperson as well then so he did that for a while and then went back into the country clubs and he went to uh, field club country club and was a chef there well, he always wanted to get back into his own business. And again, we never had the money. Um, so uh, I started to sell food out of our home. I said, look, you want a place. We want a place again. How are we going to do this? We will never have the money. I'm going to handwrite a menu and going to pass it out to all of our neighbors. I'm always giving food away when I have too much food left over. Uh-huh. Um our kids always have their friends over here. Now they can pass out menus to them and their family and say, hey, if you want some food now, you're going to have to pay for it because we want to do a test run to see if we could open another restaurant. Yeah. So I hand-wrote a menu, passed it out. Now our teenage sons were working places, and so they passed out menus at their workplace. Pretty soon menus got into the hands of people at uh, like Polly's Bar and uh, um, the Elbow Room and just different places where people didn't offer food. And we were, Oh my gosh, this is getting out of hand. We're going to get in trouble because you know, you're really not supposed to sell food (laughs) out of your kitchen without being sanctioned by the health department. Uh And so, um, uh, my son was a, um, uh, a young man who was at home and said, mom, I can't get a job. You know, no one wants to hire me. And, um, I said, well, you know what, I'm going to put you to work. You're going to be my delivery driver. Mm -hmm. And so you take these and deliver them. Well, pretty soon it got to be a little bit too much. And my husband was on his way driving um, to Sutherland Lumberyard, which was on uh, L Street, 32nd and L. Um, And he drove by this little place that had a for lease sign on it. And he came home and said, I think I found a place where we could go, you know, because we, we have been to Chicago and New York, and we didn't want somewhere, place where it was a lot of restaurants around, or in a strip mall, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we kind of wanted a destination place where we would be a little bit different, and uh, so we called the number, and it just happened to be um, a friend of ours who was a parishioner uh, in our parish uh, at Our Lady of Lords, and Uh, he had bought this old grocery store, and his office was in half of it, and the other half he was leasing out. So we, again, had no money, and uh, it was time for our 25th wedding anniversary, and we thought, you know, we eloped. We never had a wedding reception. Let's give ourselves a big... Party and maybe people will come and bring us money for our 25th wedding anniversary <laughs> and we'll get some money to be able to do this restaurant. that's smart. <laughs> well, that didn't work out. Oh. At 25th wedding anniversary, everybody gives you silver, you know, mm-hmm. sterling silver mm-hmm. tray, sterling silver plates, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, so anyway, um, but my brother and sister from California came and uh, they saw what we were doing from home and uh, I'd asked them, I said, would you be willing to give us a loan? Because we had gone to California when we were there. We helped them start a restaurant. And so they didn't have the expertise that we had, so we helped them out. So um, my sister and brother didn't have a lot of money either, and but they maxed out three credit cards. And with $30,000 that they loaned us, we were able to take that little space that we had in the beginning and do most of the work ourselves. We had a nephew who was a carpenter. He could build some walls. We, my husband knew how to lay uh, tile. And and uh, so we, we just did all the. We went to auctions and got everything secondhand. Yeah. And, and that's how we started. And then Little by little we expanded more and more onto the building. We finally talked our landlord into letting us buy the building after nine years. And we'd bought a couple of homes next door in uh, thinking that, you know, in anticipation that we would be able to uh, tear them down and have a bigger parking lot and more room. So uh, you know, But at home, I was. we were taking orders on the phone. I would actually take the um, doors on my cabinets and open them up and take a uh, clothesline and put it from one end to the other and take clothespins. And we would take orders <laughs> on the phone and clip them across there uh, like a, a clothesline. But uh-huh. we would hang the orders up there, and then my son and, would deliver, and then my daughter would deliver. And on Saturday nights, my son-in-law would have to help. So we got to be pretty busy. We knew it just couldn't last. So that's how La Solemio started.
0: I love that. Yeah, David. He he told me a story about he just came home one day, and this this was like early on when you were talking about you know selling out of your home, and and all of a sudden like one wall was like torn out, and there were just pizza <laughs> boxes and flour everywhere, and they're just like, "Mom, what is yeah. going on?" You're like, "You need to go take these flyers, go out, deliver stuff." I just I love that so much. Right, that right. We, we had a, a lot
1: of help from a lot of people. Like uh, Orsi Bakery had a small little stand up uh, mixer. Uh, to mix the bread in, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, so we we purchased that. Like I said, everything we did, we got secondhand from auctions, you know. And and actually, a, a story here: we we ran out of money about two days before we were supposed to open. Mm-hmm. We had a sign in the window uh, saying "Opening soon, opening soon," and we gave a date, and we had no money to buy the groceries then when we were almost ready to open, we thought, Oh my God, what are we going to do? We've done all this work. We have no money to buy groceries. And we knew my brother and sister couldn't give us any more money. Our parents didn't come from money. Um, but I went to my parents and they, uh, could get a thousand dollars on their credit card. Uh, my neighbor who was a good friend loaned us $700. Wow. So with $1,700, we were able to buy, uh, groceries, because we didn't have credit at that time. So we had to pay for them in order to open up, you know, and we had a great following from being known from the restaurant before, uh, from the country clubs, from all of our uh, acquaintances, you have many people, you know, when you have six children involved in sports and all of that. So we knew we would have a following. Well, uh, the first night we were open, there was a line out the door, and we were just in tears by the end of the night. Don't people know you don't go to a restaurant the first night they open? Uh-huh. We have to work out the bugs. You know, we had no dishwasher. My daughter-in-law, my daughter and I, we all went back in the kitchen. We were hand-washing dishes, you know. So that's what it takes. You know, you do what you can do at the time, and, uh, you know, hard work, it pays off.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, something that I love that you keep mentioning is you keep mentioning all these different family members that Mm -hmm. are involved in the process. And it just keeps coming back to family, coming back to family. And David told me, I think at one point you guys had 17 different family members at once working at the Solomio. We did. How much does that kind of play into just the atmosphere and the vibe there? Because it does, it feels like just a very welcoming, it almost feels Mm -hmm. like you are kind of coming into someone's home, I would say.
1: Right, right.
0: Does that atmosphere just come from so much family being around?
1: Yes, you know, um I I cook Sunday dinner every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I make a big dinner and everyone comes over, everyone who can, everyone who wants to. So I can we you know, we can have oh 14 to 22 people for dinner every Sunday. Um and I love that. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a family, it's a tradition. We sit around the table, we visit, we talk, and these are memories that the children will remember because these are memories that I have from my childhood, yeah. uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and everyone coming over, and is, it's about family. Uh, my motto is that God is first, family is second everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. So um, with that being said, I've always, you know, um, God loves a thankful heart and given thanks to God because um, without his grace, uh, none of this is possible. So, um, and family, very important. They have your back. Mm-hmm. Um, they, You're doing it for them and with them. Um, at the same time, it's very stressful working with family yeah. because to divide that between... Being their parent and being their boss, that's where the trouble comes in. Mm-hmm. And so, through the years, we've had a few children that have left the business and um, you know, have gone into other ventures. They see how what hard work it is, mm-hmm. and they really didn't want it to be their dream. It was our dream and not theirs. They had to follow their own path. A few have moved out of town. Um, you know, our daughter is still with us. Uh, David left a couple years ago to open his own venture, mm-hmm. and God bless him for that. You know, we wish him well, and he's doing wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our, our son that we had planned to have take over the restaurant was killed. Um, a tragedy that no parent wants to go through. And um, so now, you know, our exit plan, uh, I don't know. We have some uh, grandchildren there, but, you know, do they really want to work this hard? It is a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, you're married to your business when you have a business. So um, who knows what the future will bring?
0: Now, I. It's at this point that we arrive at a question from the Omaha Culinary Tours, and it's about the recipes of La Solo Mio. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that you are a, a native of Italy, but you know, um, we're adopted here in the United States into a heavily Italian family. Is that kind of where the recipes come from? Were they passed down yes. generation to generation? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, both from uh, my family and some from Don's family. Uh-huh. Um, and then from ourselves of just loving to cook and, yeah. and Don being creative as a chef. Um, he has some wonderful recipes that he has made and uh, and I've always loved to cook. So that's what they are. They're family recipes passed down um, that, you know, pretty much the Italian way of cooking uh, can be the same all throughout Italy, because each family knows how to make this and that, but then they put their own twist on it, or mm-hmm. it may be made differently from the southern part to the northern part of Italy, from Sicily, you know, to the mainland. So, uh, different names for different dishes. Um, and, you know, in any culinary art, they, they change. People make new recipes and new things. So, uh, they are a little of everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. As we wind down here, there are two things left that I really want to ask you. And the first is, as someone who's been in the restaurant industry nearly her entire life, has seen so much, what keeps you in it? Like, what What is your favorite part of being in the restaurant industry?
1: When we see customers leaving the restaurant, and I can hear them say, Oh, thank you so much. We loved it. We had a wonderful experience. Or they may not say it to us, but they're hugging each other and thanking each other for getting together, that we get to be a part of making a memory for someone uh, in a good way. Um, That is what is the satisfaction of knowing that we aren't rocket science. We, you know, we, we don't have anything to offer except our hospitality and our, our love of food and of people and wanting to please people. You have to be a people pleaser in this business. Um, you know, you have to listen to your customers. Um, I, I always have said the customer is not always right, Mm -hmm. but they always come first. And so if you listen and, um, to whatever their complaint or whatever their comments might be, you make them feel that they come first, you mm-hmm. know, that they know everything. Mm-hmm. So that that's the fine line in the art of just making them feel that uh, they come first.
0: And I think in this time period more than ever, as, as we talked about at the beginning, to kind of tie everything back, is just this is a time when restaurants are very much figuring out what they're doing. So patience right. is of... The utmost importance right now, I think Omaha diners, for the most part, understand that. But people just have a little grace. Understand that everyone who is making your meals is working their butts off. They are not trying to do anything bad. They are trying to give you the best possible experience. And I am confident that you will get that at Le Solo meal, whether you get a delicious pasta, whether you get a family meal, or whether you get one of those really, really tempting double crust pizzas that we a talked about at the beginning. Yes, <laughs> yes. So yeah. I, I can't thank you enough, Marie, for coming wow. on today and giving me some time. This was a lot My of
1: pleasure. fun. My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: And thank you, listeners always, for sticking around. Um yeah, just I'm gonna keep these going. So keep listening. Keep encouraging awesome guests to come on and thanks for eating with me.